Welcome into this episode of Show Your Scars with Jordan Angeli, a look inside the journey back from a devastating injury. We may not choose for this to happen to us, but we appreciate who we become in the process. Now let's dive into this week's episode as we share our strength and show our scars with pride. Hey everyone, who doesn't love cuddling up with a great blanket right now, especially as the weather gets colder? I know I certainly do. And now you can take all of those old t-shirts you have from different athletic endeavors and random experiences that are just sitting in a box and turn them into a warm blanket filled with memories. Project Repot is doing this for you and it is so easy. You just send in your shirts and they stitch them together alongside cozy fleece and voila, a perfect blanket and a keepsake. Now listen to this. They're offering Show Your Scars listeners a special discount, 30% off. That is right. I just said 30% off. This would make a great holiday gift. So get to projectrepat.com now. That's projectrepat.com and use the code SHOWYOURSCARS for 30% off your new cozy blanket just in time for the holidays. What's up, Monday morning? I am excited. The sun's out. What a beautiful day. Let's go attack Monday with a little bit of vigor, would we? Everybody gives Monday a bad rap, but I think it's perfect. It sets the tone for the rest of the week, um, how you get after today. So let's get after it. I want to bring to you guys today a really cool guest. He contacted me as he is doing some different old but new surgeries at the hospital for special surgery. Dr. Gregory DeFelice is an orthopedic surgeon at HSS in New York, and he talks about how he used his work in trauma to help him figure out a way to look at ACL recovery differently. And I say recovery because he is kind of pushing the way, forging the way for ACL repair. This is super interesting and it's research-based. He's doing a lot of not reconstructions. He's When you tear your ACL, he is taking it in your own tissue that you have torn and reattaching it to the bone. Really interesting. The recovery is a lot shorter and he offers something really cool to everybody who's going through an ACL injury right now. If you just tore your ACL, You want to listen to this because towards the end of it, he gives you guys an offer that I would take him up on if I had an MRI in my hand right now and looking for a doctor. I think researching and finding the right doctor for you is so important and Dr. DeFelice is willing to um, help you out in one way. One might seem like a small way, but it's a big way. He talks about all different things, different types of reconstructions. He talks about how he got into thinking about ACL repair and just the work that he's putting in for that. So please listen to this. I think it's super informative. And even if you had three reconstructions like I did, um, it's, it's interesting. And it gives you hope that in the future, no one will have to go through what you went through again. So thank you for your ears. And I hope you guys enjoy listening to Dr. DeFelice. Guys, I am joined by Dr. DeFelice from the Hospital of Special Surgery, correct? Yep, that's yeah. right, New York City. 
I am excited to talk to you as you are doing so many cool things in the realm of orthopedic surgery and just uh, bringing something that was done a while ago and bringing it back to life in a whole new brand way, brand new way and um, really helping a lot of athletes. So I kind of want to start from the beginning though and just see how you grew up if you were an athlete and if injuries were a part of your athletic journey and is that kind of how you got into be a, an orthopedic surgeon? Well, you know, I'm the I'm the last kid of, of eight kids, and we all played sports every every single season. So um, injuries were a, a part of playing sports, but it doesn't to me. I don't recall them being as prevalent as they are today. You know, I, I was very lucky. I didn't really get injured much, and I played uh, in high school. I played uh, baseball, uh, football, baseball, and basketball in college uh, at Princeton University. I played football all the way through. And then uh, to my mother's chagrin, I decided to get rid of the pads and pick up a good game called rugby. Ooh. And I played, uh, <laughs> I played rugby all the way until I was almost 40. Wow. And uh, in addition, I'm a, I'm a big skier. I love uh, mogul skiing and powder skiing. And uh, I play a lot of other games, squash, etc. So I'm an athlete through and through. And that's what got me interested in orthopedic surgery. And just to know that you did all that and you you've probably seen a, a fair share of injuries throughout the way too and um to be able to help people get back to something that not only you love but they love too is probably a really rewarding thing to do yeah uh, absolutely you know i think one of the reasons i went into orthopedic surgery uh as an athlete uh i always felt that athletes understood athletes and um and unfortunately some of these injuries that that folks uh incur one of the, some of the the best ways to handle it might be to actually stop playing and that might be the prudent choice and I always felt that it would be better to hear that from an athlete than to hear from it uh, that from someone who never actually competed or or put in the blood sweat and tears uh, to uh, compete at high levels so that really was the reason I went into orthopedic surgery and sports medicine in general was so that an athlete could always uh, know that they were talking to someone who was a fellow warrior and uh, understood where they were coming from if they were injured. Yeah, and you've been now practicing orthopedic surgery for how long? And are, are you specifying, have you always specified in knee surgeries or do you kind of do a, a few different surgeries as a, as a surgeon? Well, I do, uh, I do mo mostly knee and shoulder for sports medicine because that's where a lot of the injuries uh, kind of focus on. But I also have an, an older group of patients who need uh, joint replacements who are you know, athletes who've had injuries, et cetera, and then later on in life, they need uh, a knee replaced or a hip replaced. So the majority of my practice is, uh, is shoulder and knee uh, uh, arthroscopy and sports medicine, but I also do a fair amount of joint replacements. So you, you mentioned those two different joints. Is there specific injuries within even that, that you and not only you, but your colleagues and you are seeing more on a week to week basis? Is, is it a lot of ACLs do you feel like that number has increased in the last few years too you, you already mentioned you think injuries are increasing just from when you played sports at a collegiate and high school level till now oh I absolutely believe that injuries are uh, increasing in prevalence um, I think there's a lot of things to that I think that there uh, the focus on one sport year-round uh, the, the incredibly increased competition amongst youth. I think these are uh, dramatically increasing the numbers of injuries we see. 
you you talk about doing a lot of shoulder and, and knee surgeries, and that's what you specialize in. But from a week to week basis, what's maybe the most common injury that you and your colleague colleagues are um, having to repair or reconstruct? Well, I think that since I've done I've been doing all this work, and now the word is getting out that there's a, a new procedure for the ACL that uh, is less invasive and has a quicker recovery. Now I'm getting I'm absolutely inundated with ACLs. Um, I think I have six on my schedule to see tomorrow, six new ACLs. Um, so it's my volume has skyrocketed. Yeah. And uh, a, a, a colleague of mine a few years back when I was telling him about my new procedure and kind of my new approach to the ACL, he uh, joking, jokingly said that, man, in a couple of years, you're going to be doing only ACLs all day, every day. <laughs> And I, I laughed at him and said, yeah, that's not likely. But uh, as each week goes by, uh, it's becoming more and more of a possibility because so many people are tearing their ACLs nowadays. And you kind of hinted on this, that you're doing something different and people are, are seeking you for a different kind of surgery. So when did you start to realize that there was something bigger to address with ACL injuries and how they were treated? It was actually, it was almost a decade ago, to be quite honest with you. Um, it, it really didn't come from uh, just treating the ACLs. I was, uh, one of my initial jobs at a fellowship, I was working at a big trauma center. And so I was seeing patients with really severe knee injuries uh, where two, three, four ligaments in the knee were out, including ACL, PCL, sometimes MCL or the LCL. And what happens is, is when you treat those patients and you just do a a big reconstruction on every ligament in the knee, um, more frequently than, than not, uh, sometimes those folks just get stiff. The knee's stable, but their, uh, their athletic days yeah. are over, and even it becomes difficult to just do your activities of daily living. Um, and it was, uh, the place where I was working was a, a, a very uh, lower socioeconomic demographic or group of people. So it was a city hospital in New York. And so the folks didn't have access to great therapy. They didn't have access uh, to uh, great rehab, etc. cetera. And they, sometimes they didn't fully understand what they needed to do, which is very different than working with a young, motivated athletic population. And so I, I started to try and minimize the surgery so that the patients could potentially uh, do better with their rehab because they had less pain from the surgery. And uh, and that's when I stumbled onto this whole approach of, of not replacing the ligament, but just repairing it. That's so interesting and, and really cool how you took a bigger problem, right, in um, helping these people just get back to normal life and be able to get through day-to-day -day living with a, a big traumatic injury, that it was that that fueled your... Um, intrigue into how can I make this easier for not only people just living uh, life day to day, but how to help athletes in minimizing their pain and, and everything after ACLs. Absolutely. I, I say all the time to my patients, uh, you know, when they ask, oh, what kind of athletes do you take care of? I say that, uh, you know what, uh, everyone's an athlete because life is the sport. Right. And, uh, and that's really true because people can hurt themselves just as badly stepping off the curb and as they can uh, getting tackled in a football game or a field hockey game or whatnot. Yeah, 
Well, so I actually it's... had a teammate who tore ACL stepping off a curb going to a national team event. She was at the airport, stepped off the curb, and tore ACL. Yeah, there's there's endless numbers of heartbreaking stories yeah. out there. They, they, the data shows that about 300,000 people a year in America alone tear their ACLs. And, uh, you know, it's a huge, huge burden. And unfortunately, a lot of the, uh, the athletes, like we said, are uh, competing at younger and younger age groups. And um, it's, it's there's an epidemic of, of young girls, especially, who are tearing their ACLs at, at very, very young ages. And uh, it's a big problem. It is a big problem. I don't think it's being addressed. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so either. At um, the rate that it needs to be addressed, and the with the um, with the real um, persistence, or with the real idea that we have to change this now, or it's going to get it's the lives of these people are going to be impacted forever, right? In in a negative way. Oh, amen. But still, it's, it's real, and these these are injuries that are causing lifelong uh, problems right. uh, for folks. And there's not that much attention being thrown at it. No, I, I totally agree with you. And I think that's something we can continue to touch on in a little bit. But I want to I wanna keep in your um, talking about what you did. So you, you found that you could minimize the recovery and the pain for these patients that you had. And you decide you you discover that you could re- actually repair the ACL, which a lot of people didn't think that you could do that effectively, you know, um, talk about how it's done and, um, just more about the ACL repair. Who's, who are the best candidates and, uh, why you recommend it to people who are eligible to have it. Sure. You know, uh, let's, let's go to one of those pictures I showed you before. Yeah, so that would be great. I'm going to add my screen, see if we can, uh, share screens here and I'll show you. So can you see that now? Let's go. I got to go start here. Yeah, once you hit start, there you go. I can see it. Perfect. All right. So, you know, that you're looking into the into the knee joint and the, the kind of tissue that's sweeping forward in, in front of you and going up from the bottom, which is the tibia, to the top, which is the femur or thigh bone, that's the ACL. And to the right of it, in the, the slightly more yellow and more vertical, is the PCL. Can you see my cursor waving? I can, yes. Okay, so this is the ACL, mm-hmm. and this here is the PCL. And what you see here, and if you showed this picture to 10,000 orthopedic surgeons, that they, they would say that that's a normal ACL. And the trouble is, is that's not a normal ACL. That's, a, that's an ACL that's completely torn off the bone up here. And now, so when you go in, into the knee and have a look at the torn ACL, sometimes they look like this. Now that's obviously a torn ACL and you can see all the shredded fibers and what happened what happens is is the two different types of tear behave very very differently. Um, but we treat all ACLs the same. We we have a one size fits all approach to the ACL and um, and to me that's inappropriate. Mm-hmm. However, you have to have some historical understanding of why we do that. And really what happens is um, we do that because back in the old days, um, back in the 70s and 80s, the doctors used to try and repair the ACL by stitching it back together. But they didn't make any differentiation between who had what tear. And when when they analyzed all the results after five years, 
they found out that about 50% of the patients failed. And the doctors at the time made the decision that, you know, we don't want to put people through this giant surgery. Remember, back then it was an open surgery with a 10-inch incision, and afterwards you were put in a cast for two months. So if we think we have a hard recovery now, right. it was incredible back then. Um, and they didn't want to do a surgery where half the people failed. So they said, you know what, we're going to put, we're going to replace the ACL because it's not predictable who gets better and who doesn't. Essentially, 50-50 is the flip of a coin, right? So right. it's random who gets better and who doesn't. And they abandoned ACL repair and uh, they went towards reconstruction for everybody. Now that um, later on, as I, as I stumbled onto this topic, I realized that it probably wasn't random. And I'll show you a few pictures here. My whole, uh, this is a, an article that I wrote that I'll share with you and you can share on your, uh, on your website. Great. Um, that looks at history and says, you know, why did we switch? And it turns out, and I argue with people, that back in the day, I think we threw the baby out with the bathwater. I think we made a wrong tour, turn, such the, as the detour sign up there. And I think the problem was is that the doctors back in the day looked at the glass as half empty rather than half full. If they had only asked what was different about the patients who, who actually healed from that big surgery, what they would have realized and what, what I've shown now with some of my research is that there was something very different about those patients. I joke with my patients and I say, if those patients all had red hair, the conclusion would have been that, oh, you can do an ACL repair on the Irish folks, but you can't do it on everyone else. And that kind of, you know, pokes fun at it and makes people realize. But the, the thing that was the same about those people was that they all had a very specific tear type. They had a tear type that looked like this one that was just detached from the bone, and it didn't look like that one, which was shredded. And so ultimately what happens is, is that if you repair the right patients, then you have a chance at repairing them. But if you repair all of them, then half of them will fail because half of the tears are right in the middle. Right. And that's what I started to stumble upon back in, uh, in uh, when I was doing the, those big traumas um, up in, uh, at my other hospital before I moved to the current hospital. It, it also coincided uh, very nicely with advancements in the technology. You see, back in the day, uh, in the early 2000s, there was a rapid advance in the technical ability for us to uh, stitch soft tissues. And it came around because we were getting much better at doing rotator cuff repairs. And so I do a lot of shoulder mm -hmm. and I was getting very facile with those instruments that allow me to repair the rotator cuff arthroscopically through little poke holes. And so I started to use that in the knee and essentially repairing the ACL is kind of like repairing the rotator cuff. It's just in a different joint. So when you're repairing it, you're taking where it came off the bone and just reattaching it to the bone? Absolutely. You see, the body wants to heal. I'm going to switch to, uh, let me just show you this slide real quick because yeah. we just published this article um, and I can send you this one also. This is a systematic review and it's kind of complicated, but what this shows is uh, my research assistant, Dr. Vanderlist, and I, we we knew that this that the ACL repairs worked because of my experience. But what we didn't understand was the, 
In the old literature, it said it didn't work. Mm -hmm. So what we did was we did a, a systematic review of all the papers ever written uh, in the world from 1950 to 2000. And we divided them into two groups. And in the blue was a group that was mixed. It was a mixed group of tear types. So some half the people had their middle tears and half the people had a little more proximal tears. And then we compared them to a group in the red that was all of the patients who had just proximal tears right off the bone. Right. And we, co we compared all of the outcomes. And this slide here shows, essentially I'll, I'll synopsize it by saying that all of the people who had the right tear type did better than all the people who didn't. Right. And you and what we did here is we we, congl we conglomerated all of the work that was done that when the doctors looked at it they said look it's 50-50 it doesn't work mm -hmm. and we showed actually if you divide the groups based on tear type the old research shows that it did work. And here and this this paper wow. actually shows that. Yeah. So we had the evidence we just didn't have the sophistication to realize what the common thread was. And the common thread was the type of injury that the patient had. That's so interesting. So um, what we do here is, and, I, and here's pretty neat, I can show you a little video of how actually I do it. So you're looking into the knee right now and we're, what I'm doing there is pulling the ACL right off the bone on the wall there. And now what I'm going to use is a stitching device to pass a series of stitches into the ligament. Now you can see the majority of the ligament is pretty normal there, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm passing a stitch up into it to lock it in. That's why I'm tugging on it there so you can see what a nice bite. And now I've put another stitch in. What I'm going to do now is just anchor it to the wall, kind of like you would anchor a tent stake, anchor a tent to the ground. And you can see me pulling on the ACL there, and you can see how nice and tight it is. Wow. Now the interesting thing is the body doesn't really know what's going on. The body just knows that it's injured. It's almost as if you just tore your ACL. And so the body starts to bleed and heal. And now the ligament is held up tight against the bone. And so the body will just scar it back to the bone. Because now, that's the, a lot the, better. The bleeding from the bone of where you where you inserted the tact or the the screw to hold it in to place. Oh, absolutely, a okay. scar. It scars right back to the bone, um, just like if you cut yourself, your body wants to scar that back together. Mm -hmm. Remember, the body doesn't know different what's going on. When you tear your ACL, the same phenomenon happens, except the ACL is detached and it can't get back on tension up against the wall. Now we use this concept of repairing soft tissue to, to bony structures. We use it all over the body. We use it in the shoulder for the rotator cuff. We use it uh, for the patella tendon, for the quadriceps tendon, triceps, biceps, all over the body. This is standard operating procedure for surgeons. However, because the conclusions were drawn back in the day about the ACL not being repairable, hmm. people abandoned this and all we do for every type of tear is replace the ligament with the graft. And that's the standard reconstruction procedure that everyone knows about. But there's a lot of trouble, a lot of problems with that. Um, because as everyone on your on your website knows, the recovery from that big reconstruction surgery is not easy. Right. And uh, there's a lot of complications that can come along. And although the overall the numbers are encouraging, there's still quite a few uh, quite a few people who don't do so well with that surgery. And so you just mentioned the recovery process and how it's 
you know, it is when you're, when you are having an ACL reconstruction, it's long, it's timely. What's the difference between having a reconstruction as far as recovery goes and a repair? Oh, you can't even compare them. Uh, boy, uh, and I, I would suggest, I recommend that you share uh, my YouTube page with mm -hmm. the folks out there so they can see some videos of my patients. But um, the recovery is, is, is just, quite honestly, it's shocking. You know, as someone who used to only do ACL reconstructions, and now well over 50% of my patients, I'm able to repair the ligament. Um, I can't explain to you how different it is for the patient experience. The majority of my patients are done taking pain medicines in one or two days, and I have quite a number of patients who've actually gone through the entire surgery and recovery and never took a single pain medicine, only a Tylenol or Advil or Motrin. Wow. So that right there is, I mean, most people listening to this who've had ACL reconstruction are just shaking their heads saying, God, dog it, I wish I had that. Right, but um, but there's only certain people that are eligible. Like you said, you're you're doing this. You're looking very closely at the MRI that's being taken of their knee, the images that are being taken of their knee to provide your patients an accurate um, yes or no if they are eligible to have the repair. Because like you sh kind of showed in those pictures, not all ACLs when they're torn look the same. Sure, sure. Let me. I'll get to that in two seconds. Let me okay. just finish that last thought about. Um, how quick the recovery is. So most patients are off pain meds in one to two days. Most patients are uh, have full range of motion in a week to 10 days and can run at about four or five weeks after surgery. So um, that is shocking. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had people go back to play tackle football within three months after ACL surgery, not because I told them to or I was trying to be cavalier, but because it was a junior uh, captain who was going into his senior year and he said doc I, I want to play my senior year and I don't want to miss it I'm the captain and I'll deal with it if it if it goes bad um, but the fact of the matter was he played the whole season and the rugby season now he's six years out and he's never had to look back wow. so we've had people go back to rugby at four months uh, nationally competitive gymnastics at four months I try to hold people out till six months just to be safe but the fact is, is when you feel completely normal at one month, it's kind of hard to hold people back, right? And it's kind of, it's kind of against what you're trying to do, right? If you know that everything is, is solid and especially on the physical therapy side, if they're doing things without fear, if they're doing things properly aligned and their, their motion patterns are back to normal or, or back to in, in a place where they're not endangering themselves, it's, it's, you can't really keep holding them back, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Look, I tell people uh, this is like this is like finding a hundred dollar bill in your pocket. You know, if you're lucky <laughs> enough to have the right tear and find the right yeah, guy yeah. who can repair it, you know, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Try and play things smart. Uh, but I learn from all my patients. My patients teach me. And, um, you know, I've had people come back to the office uh, and tell me that they feel like a million bucks at six weeks post-op and that they just ran three miles in the park. And I, I look at them with wide eyes and say, you know, who told you you could run in the park? And they tell me, Doc, I, f I feel fine. And I just kind of did it. Yeah. Uh, I had another girl the other week say that she ran a 5K race 10 weeks after ACL. And I asked her what she was doing. And she said, you know what? I was going to walk it, but I started to jog for a little bit. And I felt so good and it never hurt. So I just kept running. Um, so I don't encourage people to be cavalier about this right. stuff. Right. but. 
Uh, people do what they feel comfortable doing. And when you don't have a giant surgery with a big reconstruction and a graft and, and your leg feels completely normal, people are pretty good about staying safe. Yeah, that's really and, and doing the right things. And one of the things that I, you know, you, you talk a little bit about the rehab, but one of the things that, um, you know, we talk about how often ACLs are happening. And one of the things that worries me the most and maybe a good reason to keep them in physical therapy for a little bit longer is some of the female athletes, especially just have poor movement patterns, right. And in the way that they're jumping and landing and pushing off, um, with everything that's against us, not only cue angles, but hip, um, hip and hamstring, how your glutes and your hamstrings are, aren't typically as strong in females as, as quads are. So how, um, how are you addressing that? And, and is that one of the things that you're doing is keeping people in physical therapy and making sure that they are addressing these movement patterns in order for them not to ever have to come and see you or do the best that you can for them not to see you again? So I have a, I have a multifaceted answer to that question. First of all, at Hospital for Special Surgery, we have a great program going on uh, that's trying to look at the prevention side of this. You know, as a surgeon, I would like nothing better than to work out these magnificent uh, prevention programs so that I'm put out of out of a job. I'd, m- I'd much rather be playing guitar and, and doing stuff like that. <laughs> and mogul skiing. Than, and-, <laughs> and going skiing than doing surgery. Um, so a, a guy named Joe Janoski is, is heading up the group at uh, Hospital for Special Surgery that's really looking at these prevention programs. And you can go on to our, the website at hss.edu uh-huh. and search for ACL prevention and find a whole treasure trove of, of uh, data and research there. And even coaches can log in there and kind of educate themselves as to things they can be doing now to try and prevent injuries in their in their athletes. Yeah. Um, I forgot the second half of your question. <laughs> um, so is that one of the things that you're noticing, like um, – if, if you are holding somebody back out of returning to whatever sport it is in that time period, you, gotcha. I mean, there has to be a trust between you and the physical therapist always, but, um, you want I got to correct. You. I, those... I remember your question. Okay. I remember your question now. So, um, yeah, so there's, you can't compare repair with recon, right? Part of the problem and some of the reason why we have to hold people out so long with the reconstruction is because essentially you're replacing the ACL with scar tissue that uses the graft as scaffolding, and that takes a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, In addition, because of harvesting the graft, either patella tendon or hamstrings tendon or sometimes quadriceps tendon, that in and of itself causes a lot of atrophy in the leg, and and that requires long amounts of time to recover from. In addition, there's something a little more insidious in there. If you talk to endless numbers of ACL reconstruction patients, most of them will tell you that their knee feels solid and stable under them, but it just doesn't feel normal. They say it just, it feels a little weird. It doesn't feel like my other knee. And that's something that I never ever hear from my ACL patients, Hmm. my repair patients. And that the reason is because I'm saving the native tissue In the native ACL, there are nerve endings that communicate with your brain on the back circuits that tell your brain what your knee's doing at all times. And that's something that you don't have when you have an ACL reconstruction. It's because all of those nerve endings have been chopped out of your knee, and your brain, when it calls the knee, gets a deadline. After the ACL repair, not only do you heal faster because all you have to do is heal the native tissue to the wall, 
but you keep all those native nerve endings so that your brain calls the knee and it says, uh, everything going well down there? <laughs> and the knee answers back and says, sure, everything's fine. And when you have a reconstruction, it's, uh, you know, it's, hello, hello, is anybody there? It was like our, that, our talk earlier. <laughs> that requires endless amounts of time to get better from. And some, unfortunately, um, if you look at ACL reconstruction results and you take the hardest group for us to, to heal is the under 18 year old kids. Some people argue it's because they go right back to sports. Mm -hmm. um, and that's true because if you're 30 or 35 and you have a job and you, a lot of, and a family or whatnot and you tear your ACL, you're probably gonna be much less aggressive after you've had it, the surgery than you are if you're 18 and you wanna get back to your senior year volleyball season or whatnot. Right. And so if you look across multiple papers, across multiple countries in the world, the failure rates for under age 18 patients it, within two years after the ACL reconstruction, regardless of what type of reconstruction you've had, mm -hmm. within two years, there's a one out of three chance that you're gonna tear the same knee again or you're gonna tear the opposite knee. Now, some people say like, why would you tear the opposite knee? Maybe there's some sort of genetic predisposition. And the answer may be that some people are genetically predisposed, mm -hmm. but it's also the fact that this, the original surgery is so morbid to the to the leg that's being operated on that the kids favor the opposite leg because they feel that one better and that one's stronger mm. and that puts that other leg at risk so it's a real problem is that uh, our highest performance uh, and most demanding uh, patients the under 18 crowd are having the worst results of everyone right and it, so you have a slide up right now showing um Oh, yeah, that's what you asked me before. You said, how many folks? Yeah. So uh, that burning question was uh, intriguing to my research assistant and I. And so we did this study where we looked at 350 different uh, patients who had ACL, acute ACL tears. And we, we came up with a classification system that was a slight modification of a, one that was done back in the 80s by a guy named, uh, a doctor named Mark Sherman, who wrote some of the original papers on this open procedure. And what we came up with was five different types. The, here's the type one, and you can see that on MRI, that the ligament actually looks nice and intact. Mm -hmm. It's black all the way up, and that's just detached way up at the top. And then you see the next one's a type two. That one's torn within 25% of the top. And then down here in the corner is a type three. You can see that one's right in the middle. Mm -hmm. And a type four is on the bottom 25%, and a type five is right off the bone on the bottom. So we tried to divide these up and you can see 16% of people have a perfect type one tear that we can just reattach right to the wall. 27% of people have a type two tear that's close and we may be able to. And then 50% of the people are right in the middle, the middle 50%. And that dovetails perfectly with the old experience. Why did 50% of the people fail back in the 80s, 70s and 80s? because 50% of the tears were right in the middle. And you yeah. can't stitch, it, I, I liken it to a horse's tail. If you, everyone knows that if you take a horse's tail and you cut it in half, you can't stitch that back together. Right. But if you take the horse's tail and you clip it off his fanny, then you probably have a good chance of pinning the tail back on the donkey, right? And that's kind of very, a simplistic way of looking at this, but it's actually pretty accurate. So that's the that's the numbers in a, over 350 acute ACL tears. 
That's really and, interesting. Uh, and it really coincides with those numbers too that you were talking about in the previous research, right? The 50-50. Absolutely. So then we did, we looked, we, we published this paper in the uh, Knee Surgery Sports Traumatology Arthroscopy. This is the European Sports Medicine Journal. Okay. And what we said was, okay, that's fine. If you have a type one tear on MRI, well, that's great and fine and dandy, but is it possible to repair that and how often? And so what we did was we looked at 123 acute ACL tears and we divided them up by MRI tear location, one, two, and three. Now, remember, my uh, practice is a bit skewed, so I see more type 1s than most right. people. So right. in this group, I had 21% type 1s. And if you follow along, we go to arthroscopy, and we decide if it doesn't have enough length, does it have enough tissue quality, and can we repair? And sure enough, almost 90% of the patients who had this type 1 tear on MRI, mm -hmm. we were able to repair. Now, when we went to type 2 tears, we were able to repair almost 50% of them. And type three tears, we were only able to repair 12% of them. And that gets back to the whole horse's tail thing. The closer it is to pin the tail on the donkey, the more oftentimes that I can repair it. Now, this paper was done with some of my early experience. And I would say these numbers have dramatically changed because now if you have a type one tear, I can repair it probably 98% of the time. Wow. If you have a type two tear, I can probably repair it 75% of the time. And a type three tear, uh, I can repair maybe 15 or 20% of the time. And that's because the MRI, even though it looks like it's a type three tear, sometimes you get in there and it's actually a type two tear, but it's ha the, the tissue is sitting in a funny way. So it looks like it's torn in the middle when it's not. Wow. And that's one of the things that I was going to, what I was thinking about too, is like some people come in and you read their MRI, but you may go in there and not feel like that the tissue is good enough to repair it. Is that something that you discuss with them prior to surgery that I'm going to do everything I can to repair it? But if, if need be, do you then just stay in and reconstruct? Oh, absolutely. Okay. So every patient who, I, I won't know until I get in there because it really, the MRI gives me an idea, but then I have to have I have to go in and check the tissue quality and see right. if it's worth doing. The last thing in the world I want to do is do a surgery that's going to fail, right? I want to try and pick the perfect surgery for that patient. And I base it on a whole bunch of things, uh, what I find in the knee and, you know, what my experience has been mm -hmm. and what the demands are of the patient. So I tell every patient, we're going to go in and we're going to repair it if we can. Right. We're going to, if necessary, we'll repair what we can. And sometimes I'll add a small graft. I call that a repair with augmentation. That's kind of like the medium surgery. Okay. If the repair is the small surgery, repair with augmentation is the medium surgery. And then there's the reconstruction, which is essentially the big surgery. And I use that as a last resort. So currently in my practice, now that I've been doing this for about 10 years, and it's like I said, the numbers are picking up dramatically. Currently in my practice, I'm able to repair 50 or 60% of them. I repair and augment about 10 or 15%. Okay. And uh, I only use reconstruction on about maybe 25 to 30% of my patients. And when you are doing reconstruction, what are you, what graft choice? Is that still dependent on who the person is or do you use a certain type of graft? Oh, I think that, that uh, varies tremendously on... Uh, on the, the patient. Um, 
you know, uh, some folks will do better with hamstrings. Uh, some folks will do better with patella tendon. Uh, yesterday I was, uh, I was revising a, a professional basketball player from Germany who uh, had it done over in Germany, then got infected and she had to wait an entire year oh, and a half. And so we went to her opposite leg and took her quadriceps tendon so it wouldn't affect her jumping ability so much. Right. So there's a, a bunch of, there's a variety of things we use. And certainly uh, allograft is, is an option, not so much in the younger folks and the younger kids where that's been shown to have a higher failure rate, right. but certainly in some older folks who want to have a quicker recovery, that's a nice option. Yeah. And I mean, from a person, like a standpoint of myself, who's been through a few different knee injuries and felt like I didn't really have that. I didn't have a doctor on my side who was saying, oh, you can choose whatever you want for my first couple. Um, it wasn't until my last one where I felt like I really did have a choice or really did have that open conversation with my doctor to be able to say, well, what's best for me and not what's best for, you know, maybe you or what do you know? So that, I mean, for me, that's a really nice thing to hear that it's, it's not a certain type of graft. It's how can we make this joint the best joint for this patient? Sure, sure. Look, I think that that's a, that's a very complicated topic that we're touching on right there because um, certain doctors prefer to do certain graft types for everyone. And if you're if you're being treated by that physician, then certainly doing the one that they're good at yeah, is probably sure. the best choice. So there's when you look at the literature out there, um, you have to be cautious about you know reading a few papers and thinking that you're an expert and, and that uh, you're you're super well informed. And it, it's a very fine mix of uh, an open conversation about the possibilities about that particular doctor's preferences and what their skill set is, what your demands are and you know what kind of sports you play, uh, what type of athlete you are, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot that goes into that uh, conversation and, and that goes into that soup that needs to be uh, appropriately discussed. So it's, it's a pretty complicated topic. Um, and I know everyone likes to be involved and absolutely it should be a wide open discussion. It's just understand that's a really complex discussion. No, I, I, I totally know. And it goes beyond the doctors and it goes to, you know, for me, it was a school choice of who we went to and I didn't have any other choice. So it goes beyond other, you know, other things, or I felt like I didn't have another choice when I think one of the cool things is, is while I, why I'm talking to you is like, we have all these choices and we have the ability to choose, um, a lot of times what doctor we want to go with if, um, that's something that is covered with our insurance. So, um, yeah, it's just, I just want to say that that's, it's nice to hear the openness and the, you, you having those discussions with your patients. Well, Hey, uh, yeah, I like that too. I like, I like having choices. I like going in with a, you know, let's see what you have and let's, let's try and uh, do the least invasive thing that we can do to make you better. Mm -hmm. And look, we, if you're going to try and repair these tissues, just like every other surgery that we do in the body, there's a chance it's going to fail. And we've had a handful of people re-tear their repaired ligament. And that leads us to another of the tremendous benefits of this approach where right. trying to be more conservative with surgery. Um, not only is the recovery faster, there's less complications and all that stuff, but if in fact, you happen to re-tear your ligament, 
we can always go do the reconstruction procedure as if it was the first time. Right. Because we haven't burned any bridges, we haven't drilled any tunnels, we haven't taken any grafts, we've just reattached your tissue with with suture anchors that are absorbable. Uh-huh. We can go in and just drill right through those suture anchors and do an, options. A, a reconstruction as if it was the first time. I, I tell my patients, it's kind of like getting up to, to bat if you're playing baseball or softball and the first pitch goes by and the, the umpire says strike zero. It's like getting a free swing at the plate, right? You don't have to have the big surgery the first time. You can try the small one and see if it works. Right. Now, look, I don't want to waste people's time, and I certainly don't want to waste my time. If if you're going to do a procedure that's going to fail 50% of the time, well, maybe we should be considering, like, maybe we shouldn't. But to date, I've done close to 150 of these ligament repairs, and uh, we've only had about seven patients have re-tears. Five of those elected to undergo re- revision reconstruction, which uh-huh. is really primary reconstruction, and they did fine. But of all the other folks we've done it on, we haven't had to go back and do any further surgeries. Occasionally someone will tear a meniscus or you know something like that, but we really haven't seen a lot of big problems with this surgery because it's so uh, conservative. It's more in line with having an arthroscopy and meniscectomy than it is uh-huh. having an ACL reconstruction. Yeah. So what's your big hope and dream for this? What What do you hope that comes of all? I mean, you've put so much time and effort and re- research and performed a lot of these operations. What's What's kind of your hope with this? Well, look, my hope is that uh, is that it's the same hope that I had when I first discussed this topic um, at a conference about five years ago. I was, um, I realized I was onto something, but I was very, very conservative in the beginning. And it took me four years to collect my first 11 patients because I, I knew that the whole sports medicine world was going to tell me I was crazy for trying this. So, but I knew it was going to work if the tears were right off the bone. So it took me a long time to collect four perfect tears. And I had to follow those patients out because generally we don't report on anyone until you've had at least two year follow-up. So I remember specifically the first time I was on the podium at one of these big medical conferences, it was an emerging techniques conference out in Las Vegas in 2012. And I got up there and I was a little nervous presenting my uh, data to three or four or 500 different doctors from across the country. Um, And uh, I said it in that talk, I said, look, I'm not trying to tell you what's right and wrong. I'm not presenting you with the answer. All I want to do is start a conversation. Yeah. Is that maybe, just maybe, the tear that looks completely normal behaves differently than the tear that's ripped in the middle. And so my hope is that, and it's actually bearing fruit right now, is that the conversation, the doctors start to realize that, hey, maybe that guy's not so crazy. <laughs> You know, maybe maybe he's real. Maybe uh, we should listen and maybe think about things from an outside the box uh, point. Right. You know, he went outside the box. He found some success. And come to think of it, what he's talking about makes a lot of sense. And it it's really hard to find uh, a, a hole in this argument that, you know, if it's the right tear, maybe we should try and heal it because you don't have much to lose. Right. Right. It's like uh, you live, you know, it's like for folks who like to gamble. If you gamble, what you want to do is bet small and win big, right? (laughs) 
You don't want to go in and bet big and lose big. Uh So that's really kind of what this is. It's bet small, win big. If you lose, you lose small. And that's what you really want with surgery. You want to take small risks and get back to normal. And I think that's what this this does. Now, this is bearing fruit because... Uh, for the past three or four years, I, I was the only guy on the podium talking about ACL repair. There's another fella over in Scotland, uh, Gordon Mackay, who's done a slightly different uh, approach, but he uh, was talking about it a little bit. And uh, and the guy named Adrian Wilson, Dr. Adrian Wilson from England, and uh, he was he published a paper doing this technique on children, on very small children like eight, nine, and ten and showed that it worked. Uh So there's a couple of people around the country that spearheaded this talk or this discussion. And what's what we're finding now is more and more people uh, at the conferences are presenting their data because they've started to do it. And they're uh, they're getting on board and saying, you know what, maybe I'm going to try and repair that one when it looks completely normal rather than chop it out of the name. Right. It's gaining traction. Even at uh, Hospital for Special Surgery, we have a very, very big sports department. And uh, I've met a lot of resistance uh, with with all the other docs on the sports service um, because actually the Hospital for Special Surgery wrote the old papers that said repair doesn't work. So I've met a lot of resistance from the folks, and it's very encouraging that uh, I think uh, the, the total now is that about seven of the doctors on our staff have tried one or two of them. So I think the ice is thawing, and people right. are starting to uh, think uh, – and think outside the box, and maybe that we can we can improve the way we approach the ACL. I love it. I love that, and I love the you know sometimes it does take a little bit of patience, but you're pursuing that patience with um, a lot of hard work and a lot of success stories and a lot of people whose lives and careers are significantly impacted it for the positive by just what you're doing. So, um, Dr. DeFelice, I really appreciate you and what you're doing and taking the time to talk to me. And um, one of the last things I always like to ask people is, so the the podcast is called Show Your Scars, and I want to know what Show Your Scars means to people. And it probably means something a little bit different to you than it does to everybody else. Sure, sure. Look, I, I tell my um, I tell my patients, I tell my children, and everyone who will listen, you know, uh, what doesn't what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So, um, but I'm firmly convinced that you don't have to have a big scar to, to, to show that you're, uh, that you're tough. Um, you know, sports, uh, the mental toughness required to train and to compete and, uh, to deal with loss and, uh, and injuries, et cetera. That, that's enough, you know, that to show that you're tough, we don't need big, huge scars from surgeries that might not be entirely necessary to, to prove that we're tough. Right. So uh, show your scars uh, in that regard. I'm hoping that we can change that for a lot of folks. And by sharing this message uh, to all of your uh, followers out there, uh, we can spread the word even more. Right. I mean, ultimately, what's the best thing that can come of this is if you have 10,000 followers you know, they tell 10,000 friends and they start sharing some of these videos and go yep. to my YouTube page and and maybe the patients will go into their doctor's office and say, hey, why don't you repair this one? Because I was, saw this guy online that said that you can repair it. And uh, and when when patients start asking their doctor pointed questions like that, 
that's going to force the doctors to to maybe look at the new research and come out yeah. of their comfort zone and say, you know what, maybe I should listen to this a little more and see if there's something to it. Because uh, it's, at the end of the day, um, you know, when I first started this, I talked about my first 11 patients, and now we're talking about 150 patients. And uh, when I first started it, you know, everyone said, oh, well, this is only one paper from one guy, you know, it can't be anything. And now we've got close to 20 papers out on all the different facets of, uh, of these injuries. In addition, oh, I've started to repair the, the other ligaments in the knee, the, the MCL, the PCL, the LCL. And so all of those patients who I worked on with the, uh, the, the, the big knee dislocations and the multi-ligament knees, a bunch of those patients, I've been able to repair all of their ligaments and they get better in a fraction of the time. So I'm hoping that this will uh, broaden the approach I that's, see you're uh, evading the guy who's working in your house. <laughs> um, no, but I, I love that. And I love that um, scars don't have to be big to show that how tough you are. And I think a lot of, especially as athletes, a lot of the scars we have, scars are just an outward uh, replication of, of healing, right? And I think we have so many mental and internal scars, too, that heal, that um, we should be proud of those, too. Big or small, we've overcome a lot. So, um I love hey, before that. you sign before you sign off, I just one quick thing I want to show yeah. you. Let's just run. I have these. I just happen to have these in this talk I was showing. Mm -hmm. Is have a look at a couple of these uh, of these uh, tears. So that's an ACL tear, and I'll be quick about it. That's an okay. ACL tear, and you can see since we talked about that that ligament looks like it's pretty intact. But the trouble is, is when you put the probe up here, this is what happens. You can see how I'm peeling oh, wow. it right off the bone. Yeah. Now. Most of the other doctors out there across the world will then proceed to remove the entire ligament from the knee, leaving a giant empty space, at which point you're going to put that graft in there. And what I do is put the stitches in and anchor it back to the bone and give that baby a chance to heal, right? Yeah. And you so can see the blood one. in this it, too. This is a type 2. And now look at that. You look at that and say, well, heck, there's no chance you could possibly repair that. But the fact is, is that... All this is is detached, and it's almost like a messy mop of hair. If you grab the, the ligament by the top and you pull it, then it, you can actually tuck it all back in there. Wow. And rather than take it out, that's what it looks like when it's repaired. And because the tissue is a little kind of questionable, it wasn't as perfect as the first one I showed, mm -hmm. I put this little reinforcement stitch in. That's called an internal brace. Okay. That's uh, one, of the, one of the additions that Dr. Mackay in Scotland uh, is a proponent of is that reinforces the the healing ligament so that extra stitch takes the heat rather than the ligament. And then if you have a type three, now here's a, a type three, and what I'll show you here is it looks like it's in the middle of the ligament. But when I look at that, and I look at all, every MRI that I uh, patients come with, I don't just read the reports. I see something different. You see how the ligament curls yeah. back itself there? Uh huh. So when I go into this knee, I say, you know what, we might get a chance. And this is what it looks like. The ACL looks very small and diminutive, right? And you say, where, what's going on? But we know that it's probably flipped in the front. And gee whiz, there it is. It's flipped out towards us. Now, when I grab that one by the hair and I pull it back into place, now you can see the big bulk of the ligament and the top where it was torn is all red. So what we're going to do here is hold it into place and say, look at that. It goes in the right direction and it reaches the wall. Let's try and stitch this. 
So this one takes a little bit more of a complex stitch pattern, but even that one we can repair, and that's what it looks like when it's all done. Wow. So there's three different types, ACL tears, type one, two, and three. And if you do a fast back of the napkin calculation, mm -hmm. 300,000 ACL tears a year, we know from my papers what percentage I can repair. I estimate that between 80 and 100,000 patients out of 300,000 could be repaired in the U.S. alone. So this could have a tremendous bearing on how we treat the ACL. Yeah. And think about, like, you were a college athlete, right? Think about if you tear your ACL late in your junior spring and you want to play, play in your senior year. If you have a reconstruction, there's no chance in heck that you're going to play. You have to redshirt a year or whatnot. If you're a pro athlete and you need to get back for, uh, and you, you know, the, the playoffs, or if you're mm -hmm. towards the end of your career and you don't want to give it up and you want to get back and say you still got it, you know, these are, perhaps you have the right tear and you can get, it, get in there and uh, repair it and get back quicker. I love that. I love that that's, you know, one-third almost um, of the people in the U.S. could, th this could really help them significantly. So I, I think that's great. I love what you're doing. I love that you're sharing all this information and that we get to share it with people as well. Um, I feel really honored here. As we're, Here's a look at some of the people that are just right. a few weeks, you know, really six weeks, four months out of surgery and they're running and flipping and <laughs> probably as you as a right? doctor too makes you so excited that um, you help them get back to what they love to do. Yeah, this is great stuff. Um, this is absolutely great stuff. It, it makes me uh, super happy when people succeed. Here's another little video. This one doesn't run so smooth, but the guy on the left is three days out. He walks up the hallway and says, Doc, I'm fine. I feel great. I never took, I didn't even take a single pain medicine after surgery. The girl on the, on the right, uh, the, doing the squat, that's, she's doing a, a 90 degree single leg squat on the same knee as surgery. And she, um, she was off pain meds in one day. She was back to work in three or four days, and she's squatting on the same leg as surgery. At, that's actually 13 days post-op with no pain. Wow. So these are tremendous stories, and I've got lots more. I love it. And I would love to share as many as, and as often as, as you have these stories because I think it's, that's one of the the great things about um, the podcast and uh, the ACL club and w what you're doing too, is we're all trying to help people, right? Whether it's you repairing them, me with giving them tools and um, not only on the mental and emotional side, but physically what, what options do they have to get back to full health? And this could be, you know, something that I think a lot of people would be interested in. So thank you for joining. Hey, I'm going to share a, What's that? I said, thank you for joining me. <laughs> oh, it was fun. I'm going to share a, uh, I'm going to share a couple things with you. Uh, a, a link to my website, GregorySDFeliceMD.com. If people, uh, you know, across the country, across the world, if they send me their MRIs, you know, I'll review their MRI and we can tell them if they have a chance at potentially being uh, a candidate for repair. And we have, currently we have patients flying in from all over the world to have this surgery done. As far away as Hong Kong, we've got a patient coming in next week from, I think, Dubai, Florida, Texas, California. People will fly in and have their ACL repaired and go home 
and uh, be running before they even got to the surgery if they were back at home, yeah, right. which is amazing. Um, I'm going to send you a link to my YouTube channel. If you search Gregory S. Felice MD uh, on YouTube, you'll find a whole channel dedicated to this, and you can listen to some of my lectures um, uh, over the years. There's podcasts, there's news reports, there's uh, ESPN LA interviews, etc. You can see some of these patient videos. That's very helpful. And I'm also going to send you a bibliography of all the papers we published that has links to the papers that you can download uh, that, right from that link to uh, if people are interested in reading about the medical papers that have been published about this technique. Great. Well, I love that. And I, I think that's perfect for everybody who's listening. If they want a little bit more information, we have the ability to get them that. So thank you so much, Dr. DeFleece. I really enjoyed it. It's so informational and um, it's just cool to think that we can change, you can, you, you know, you're starting to change the game and starting to allow people to see beyond what, um, maybe they thought was the only way to do it. Now there's, there's multiple ways. So thank you so much for all you do. Hey, nice talking to you. Yes. Have um, a great day. You too. How about that? Dr. DeFelice from the hospital of special surgery, really changing the game with science with stuff he has researched for so long and helping a lot of people get back. The one thing I want to say after listening to him, I'm so thankful for him just thinking outside the box and trying to do something different. But I am, I'm still curious and I'm hoping to talk to the physical therapy team at Hospital for Special Sur Surgery who are really the only ones doing this repair and doing the physical therapy afterwards because um, when you're injuring your ACL, a lot of the times your mechanics are not wrong. So even in Dr. DeFelice and I talked about this, even though you can be back a lot quicker, you still need to go through the proper physical therapy in order to make sure you're landing and cutting and pushing off and your athletic movements are right in order to help you stay safe and not re-injure that leg or your other leg. So even though the recovery is so much quicker, it's less invasive, physical therapy still is so important. And I just wanted to say that um, from um, kind of what I got in there. And hopefully he can connect us with their physical therapist there and we can talk about how the different recoveries, how the recovery is different from the repair as opposed to the reconstruction. I will link everything Dr. DeFelice said, his website, his YouTube, and a bibliography that he sent me in the show notes. So I just want to thank him for his time, and thank you guys for listening. I know you have a lot of choices in what to listen to on the radio, on iTunes, um, uh, and on the, the podcast app, and I hope that in these podcasts with Show Your Scars, you find a little inspiration, you find... Uh, a little bit more knowledge and think of things a little bit differently. So thank you guys for listening. And as always, go out there and show your scars with pride.